Hello, my friends. Welcome to Deeper Than Dating, the best place for singles to uplevel their lives and take advantage of their single time. I'm your host, Sarah Mack, breakup and relationship coach, and I'm here to guide you to uplevel and upgrade your single life by building a deeper connection with yourself. I'm on a mission to help millennials take advantage of their single time so they can get over their past, stop settling in life, attract better relationships, and have fun while being single. On Deeper Than Dating, we will explore topics of self-development, psychology of love, relationships, and breakups, mindset, spirituality, and manifestation in order to deepen the relationship with ourselves, which is truly the secret to deeper dating. Whether you find yourself still trying to get over your ex, questioning all your relationship decisions, desiring a more fulfilling single life, or chasing your next relationship, this is the place to be. It doesn't matter where you're at in your journey because the answer will be the same. Dig deeper into your connection with yourself in order to attract a better life and level up. It's not about dating. It's not about the breakup. It's not about your future. It's always deeper. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Deeper Than Dating. I'm so excited for today's guest. I'm really excited to pick her brain. We talk the same language, plus she's a clinical psychologist, so she has all the all the details we're going to need for this discussion that we're going to have. Dr. Andrea Liner is a licensed clinical psychologist and breakup coach who helps people heal and learn from past relationships so they can date smarter and find their next better relationship. And today we are talking all about the different phases of your breakup and the single's journey. So from healing to dating again and attracting better relationships. So welcome Dr. Andrea Liner. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. So I just love looking at your your website. I told you it's, you talk about the whole journey of being single that I love to talk about on this show. So can you give listeners a bit about what you do, your background and how you got to where you are today? Absolutely. Uh, Well, thank you for that introduction. I feel like you did most of my job for me. So (laughs) thank you. Um, No, it's, um, it's kind of a funny story. I, um, so like you said, I am a licensed clinical psychologist, and I went to school to do therapy, um, which I kind of got into because I originally wanted to be a dentist. I was a very strange child. I loved going to the dentist. Very weird. <laughs> so I thought I wanted to be a dentist. And in college, I was taking all of the pre-dental classes, all the biology, all the chemistry, all of that. And I hated it, like really hated it. And the only classes that I found myself enjoying were the classes more about like the human brain, like brain biology, neurobiology stuff. Um, and the electives I took that tended to be in the psychology realm. So I knew I wanted to like learn about why people are the way that they are, what shapes them, why do they behave the way they behave. Um, And I got into the therapy world because I really wanted to work one-on-one with people and help them improve their lives. So little did I know that the the part of life I was going to be specializing in was relationships. Um, And that was partly by design. I knew that I was interested in relationships. Like every time I read Cosmo as a teenager and like they would quote a psychologist in an article, I thought that was so cool. Um, But I didn't really intend to specialize in breakups. It happened when I 
in um, my so I've been through you know breakups before but the worst breakup I ever went through was when I was in my graduate program um, because it was a five-year relationship that I was in from 19 to 24 that I thought was the relationship and like for all intents and purposes I was married to this guy I was committed for better for worse um I was at a point where regardless of red flags or negative things I was just committed I was fully in it and I kind of had the blinders on and the universe, I think, thought it would be hilarious uh, while I was going through that to make most of the cases assigned to me when I when I was in my training practicums and my internship, um, clients who were also going through breakups. So I ended up kind of accidentally specializing both from the personal side of things and the clinical side of things and helping other people through it and learning how to use um, clinical psychology and um, psychodynamics and cognitive behavioral therapy and all these lenses to conceptualize what goes on for people in breakups, um, what, how does attachment theory play into it, how do our early experiences and the relationships that are modeled for us set us up in relationships and it was just this big kind of explosion of breakups everywhere um, so I decided in my therapy practice to kind of mostly focus on relationships but then I decided therapy was a little too limiting and I wanted to break into the coaching world where there are kind of fewer regulations which you know pros and cons because you've got to be careful about who you work with but um but the big pros being like a lot less red tape to go through um, being able to impact more people in more places in more creative ways. So mm-hmm. that's my my new baby. I love it. And there's so much that there's just so many layers. I'm getting excited just hearing you talk about it, like attachment styles, all the different therapies that you can try. And I'm sure with each client, it's totally different, like what they might need. Absolutely. So we'll do our best today to like really give some helpful, practical, generalized tips that the listeners can really use for themselves. So I know we're going to talk about like the different phases uh, throughout the breakup or throughout our love journey, as I like, I like to call it a love journey. And just starting with before the breakup might even happen. Like, so I know we talked about if, if someone might be thinking about leaving a relationship, this is big, has been big in my past of really questioning and agonizing for months whether this was my person, whether this was it for the rest of my life. And I know I don't believe in, there's only one person that we have many people that we can have great relationships with, but I would love to pick your brain on this topic. So how can someone know if they should end a relationship or if they should keep working through it? Yeah, this is something that comes up so much in the work I do with people In fact, I I have a package just specifically for people considering whether they want to get out of a relationship or not. And I notice a few main themes coming up with this population. One is that oftentimes um, the people that are really mulling this over the most tend to be high compassionate, high empathy people. And what, what I mean by that is that they are very willing to try to be understanding and patient with things that aren't working with their partner or relationship situation, that they don't want to throw in the towel. They want to be like, well, he's really stressed out right now. Or, well, you know, his grandpa just died and he's been kind of a mess ever since. Or, oh, he got laid off. And that's why he's not giving me the attention I need. Like they're very willing to make allowances Mm -hmm. for the other person. Um, On the flip side, 
you know, another theme that I see is kind of in our social media culture a little bit, like what are the optics of staying in the relationship versus leaving? And there are people that are a little bit concerned with what it will do to their image if they go through a breakup, that it doesn't look as good to the outside world when you're going through a breakup as when you're putting up, you know, cute kissy photos of you and your boo on Instagram. So kind of two different sides of the coin. Um, but I think that especially in the in the 20s population, which is the bulk of who I work with, there's this feeling of, you know, have I wasted too much time? Is it too late for me to start over? And I notice this a lot with clients whose relationships started in their teens or early 20s. Um, a lot of my clients are coming to me wondering if they should stay in a relationship that started when they were in college, for example. And something that I really like to encourage people to think about is who were you when the relationship started and who are you now? And those should be different answers. You know, we're all growing and evolving all of the time. It just depends. Was it happening in alignment and in parallel with your partner? And I think that, you know, a lot of us with relationships that start at young ages, we're not thinking super intentionally at 18, 19, 20. We're thinking about, you know, who's the hot guy at the party? Who's the fun guy who's going to take me to his winter formal <laughs> in his fraternity? Like, we're looking for those things. Who do I have fun with? And when we're not starting our relationships with as much intention, there's more possibility of growing apart values-wise and identity-wise later on. So I encourage people to think about, like I said, who are, who are you then? Who are you now? Would you date this person now? If you met them today, as you are and as they are, would this be someone you are interested in the future with? Um, to what degree are you thinking, well, I'm already, you know, 28 and I've been with him for six years. And if I start over now, it's like too late for me and I've wasted all this time and I don't want to have to start from square one. Um, you know, is there any element of that holding you back? Because I got to tell you, I would so much rather you quote waste the last six years than be unhappy for the next 40 plus. And that's mm -hmm. that not a lot of people think to do. Yeah. Yeah. And if you start to have this inkling that maybe something's off, maybe this isn't your person, that might not go away, you know, within the next five years. And then you will wish that you made that decision five years ago. So it's like listening to that little voice. Let's say someone does have this little voice that they're like, is this my person? I don't know. For me personally, I, I was always questioning, is this my intuition or is this just anxiety? Is this, re this relationship anxiety that I have? Is this fear or is this my intuition? How could someone determine that? Yes. I love that distinction. And I think it's such a common question that so many people ask. And so something I always encourage my clients to look at, and I use this word so much that they will laugh at me if they listen to this, but data, we're looking for data and data means, you know, something that's a little bit more objective rather than subjective. So looking at, you know, when you're having anxiety or negative feelings, is this my person? I don't know. I'm feeling really, you know, detached from him lately, or I'm feeling like he doesn't really care, or I'm feeling like our values aren't in line. Look at as much of the concrete data as you can. And the best place to get concrete data is in two places. One, in direct conversation with your partner. And two, is really paying attention to how you feel both when you're with them and when you're apart from them. Usually, if it's intuition, you're feeling just as uncertain and kind of crappy when you're with them as when you're not with them. 
But when it's just anxiety, oftentimes when you're with them or you're conversing with them and actually getting data straight out of their mouth, it alleviates what you're feeling. You go, ah, okay, phew, maybe I don't need to worry about this. Like, I, I am feeling connected when we're together. It's when we're apart that I'm freaking out that he's he's not interested or can't give me what I want. And that's, that speaks to me on more on the anxiety side. Mm. I always use the word data as well. It <laughs> really helps my brain to think more logically than, than emotionally, because when we are questioning our relationships, of course, we're so emotionally attached mm-hmm. and we have to really get down to the facts and the data of our, our needs and our values. What are some other exercises that someone could do to really get in touch with themselves for a hard decision like that, especially someone who does feel like they're wasting time and they kind of want to speed up that process. Yes. So a couple exercises that I take people through, one of which is I call it the real versus ideal. And it's nice because it rhymes. So it's easy to remember. (laughs) Um, But I have them kind of write out what are some of the qualities that in theory you want from a relationship. Um, I want loyalty. I want him to make me laugh. I want us to want the same things in the future. I want to feel supported. I want to feel like I still have my independence. Like what are, what are the main, you know, list five or six qualities that you would want in an ideal relationship. And then I have them go through, okay, based on your real relationship, how would you rate these qualities on a scale of like one to 10? Um, So loyalty is a factor. Okay, well, you've caught him cheating on you two times now. So where would you rate him on the loyalty scale? Or, you know, I really want to feel supported by my partner. Well, you know, I kind of feel like my partner puts me down and makes fun of, you know, the career I'm pursuing or some of my hobbies. He makes me feel silly for having. So that's not going to be as high of a ranking. And really compare, like, look at those ratings. And see, you know, are you, are you kind of in fantasy land about what the potential could be? Well, he could be a really loyal guy. He could be a really supportive guy, but what do you actually have in front of you? Mm -hmm. And that can be a really hard thing to come to terms with because we get embarrassed. We feel a little guilty. We feel a little stupid if we feel like we've spent time with someone who's not giving us what we need. So I also like to remind people that unless you are literally like diagnosed as psychotic and have lost touch with reality, you, of course, there are positives in the relationship. You wouldn't have stayed in it this long if there weren't. If it was mm-hmm. 100% bad, if it was so glaringly obvious to not be in the relationship anymore, you wouldn't. Mm-hmm. So we have to kind of give ourselves some grace. But I think when you really put it down in black and white on paper in front of you, it can be really telling of where you stand in this relationship and how fulfilling it truly is for you right now. Yeah. And then that brings up the question. So if someone puts it all on paper, and maybe their partner isn't quite where they want it to be, where they want their ideal relationship to be. At what point, we don't want to change the partner. We don't want to change our partner, but we want to give them room for growth, right? So I I have trouble articulating like, when does when do you make that decision? Because in the past, I've tried to change my partner because of potential. And I'm putting potential in quotes because that's probably something you hear often is, oh, we see the potential. So where do we draw that line of, of seeing the potential and knowing that this just, 
I have to, I've outgrown the relationship and there's something better out there for me. So I'm going to come back to my favorite word data. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. any of you remember my high school science class, when you're conducting an experiment, one data point is not enough to make a full conclusion from. So we want to look at an aggregate of data. We want to look at things over time. And one of the best things to consider is have you brought this up to your partner? Because no one is a good mind reader. We all think that we are, but no, like no one really is. Um, if someone has figured out how to mind read, like, please contact me. I would like to talk to you. So, <laughs> so part of it is um, I notice that when I work with people, sometimes they're telling me, especially during this real ideal exercise, um, well, he's not doing this. He's not doing enough of this. He does this that I don't like. I don't feel supported when he does this. And one of the first questions I'll say is, okay, have you brought this up to him? Have you had mm-hmm. a conversation about it? And oftentimes the answer is no. We've never talked about it. He shouldn't, he should know that this is what I want from him, that this is what I need from him. And with certain qualities, I think some of them are pretty understandable to make the assumption that he should assume that I want a loyal partner. That that's pretty basic. But sometimes like with with slightly more gray area ones, like I want to feel independent in my relationship. I don't want to feel like we have to do everything together. Maybe he doesn't know that. So you really need to ask yourself, has this been a conversation before it needs to be a decision? Have we talked about it? Have I seen effort? Have I seen growth? When I brought this up to him a few months ago, he was really surprised by it. He didn't realize that I felt that way. But ever since then, I've noticed a really solid effort from him and it feels better now. Give it that chance. Now, Mm -hmm. if it's something that you have talked about over and over and you've brought it to his attention and he either says, sorry, I am who I am, deal with it. Or he says, yeah, 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 I'll work on it. And then you see no evidence of that. After a certain number of data points, I think you have enough to go and make a decision. Yeah. And taking that data and checking in with yourself throughout different checkpoints and, and checking in with your body and how you, how your, how your body feels when you're, when you're going through this information, I think is a good practice to, to do more than once, like daily, um, to have these yeah, yeah ch- check-ins to, because I find that, yeah, the more you the more data you, the more you investigate, the more you examine, the closer you're, you're going to get to your answer. Like we might not, we just, it's not going to happen overnight. It might take some digging. Right. Which is why therapy and coaching is amazing. <laughs> yes. And, and I will say that, you know, one exercise is not enough to make this decision off of. That's one of my main ones, but you know, other things to keep in mind are really just how do you feel in your gut? When you're with this person, when you think of the future with this person, does it fill you with a sense of dread? Does it fill you with a sense of excitement? If you thought about, you know, catching them cheating on you or them breaking up with you, is there a little part of you that feels relief because Mm -hmm. it would be an out? Um, What have your friends and family been telling you about this person? Like, I always say that unless you have really dysfunctional relationships with the people closest to you, for the most part, they do want what's best for you. They might have a different idea of what that is for you than you do. And you need to take that into account. But if like everyone who's close to you can't stand your partner or doesn't understand why you're together or thinks that you can do better, that's data to take into account. Again, that's one data point. So don't base everything on that, but add it in. Um, And I I referenced earlier, but just like when I was mentioning the compassionate and, and empathetic people, like how, how much justification are you doing for your partner on a regular basis? How many excuses are you making for them to yourself and to other people in your life? That's a big data point as well. 
Okay. So let's say someone they've made the decision or they're just, they've been broken up with, they've been on the other end. There's a breakup that happens. Let's get into healing. What are some guidelines or rules that you like to provide for your clients? And I, I don't know if, I don't know how I feel about the word rules, but, um, guidelines that you like to give your, give your clients to move on in a healthy and efficient way. Yes. So I think that there's some myths in the healing process that I first like to debunk with people. Um, first of all, the healing process is a process. This isn't a journal on a couple of things and be healed. This isn't a do an exercise and be healed. This isn't spend a week, you know, crying by yourself in your apartment and then be healed. It is a process and there are phases you need to go through. I also like to remind people that, um, especially around the concept of going no contact with an ex, which is a big guideline that I do give clients, um, it doesn't have to be permanent. That's a myth that you have to like cut this person out of your life forever, no matter how intense the relationship was, no matter how long it was, no matter how intertwined your lives became, you just have to cut them out like a cancer. Like not necessarily, but for a temporary time, yes, because you need to heal. Um, and part of my whole shtick as the breakup doc is that I like to use medical analogies because I think we just have a lot easier time conceptualizing physical injuries than emotional ones. Mm -hmm. So I like to think of a breakup as you just got sliced open and you need to let that close up. You need to clean it and you need to let it close up and you need to not pick at it because when we don't clean it, when we don't let it close up all the way, when we keep picking at it, getting that scab picked off, bleeding again, that's when you scar that's when you get infections. So the process that I have people follow, the first phase of my kind of protocol is the stop the bleeding phase. We're not too concerned at this point about why did it happen? What does it mean? What's wrong with me? How can I get him back? Like those higher level questions. Right now, we just want to stop the bleeding. We want to do things like um, detox from your ex. And what I mean by that is going no contact and removing physical reminders in your environment about your ex. I really love the quote, you can't heal in the same environment that made you sick. Mm. Uh, and I really believe this about exes. So again, not permanently necessarily, unless you want it to be, but there needs to be, you know, I, and I offer a service like this where I will, I will sit on zoom with people while they do this and process the emotions that come up during it. But let's go through your room and put everything that reminds you of your ex in a box. And let's have a plan for what to do with the box. Yes, you could light it on fire in some kind of like full moon ritual if you want to and can do that safely. But also you can ask a friend to hang on to it for safekeeping. So it's out of your purview and you're not, you know, sprinkling germs into your fresh open wound. But you also don't have to commit to getting rid of those memories forever. There's something about the finality of being like, this is just gone from my life that makes a lot of people avoid this step. So it doesn't have to be permanent, but it does have to be efficient. So mm -hmm. do it at least temporarily. And then we go removing contact with your ex. I'm a big believer in deleting them on social media, blocking them on social media. And it doesn't, another myth is that this is so nasty or immature of you to do, and it doesn't have to be. I always encourage clients, especially in slightly more amicable <laughs> breakups, like shoot them a message first and say, hey, just want to let you know where I'm at in my healing process. I need us to not be connected on social media right now. I don't mean any offense by it. I'm not trying to be dramatic. It's just what I need for me. I'll reach back out if and when I'm ready. And then block mm -hmm. them. Because mm -hmm. what we do when we don't block them is either we see things that, you know, nothing. And like, 
you know, doesn't really impact us or something hurts us. And by the same token, even if they're not really posters or you're able to not look at their stuff, a lot of my clients report um, posting things specifically for the audience of their ex, like just so their ex sees them out having a great time, living their best life, flirting with people at the club. And doing that means that you're prioritizing your ex over yourself because you're doing it for their benefit. So just Mm -hmm. taking that off the table is the best thing you can do. Mm -hmm. So those are, those are a couple of the big, big guidelines that I give people. I love your analogy of the open being sliced open. I think that's such a great visual for people to have when they're going through it, to be gentle with themselves and to be careful of what they're letting around their, in their energy and around in their body. And something that helped me that you touched on in my past was the very first traumatic breakup I had. Every time we cut off contact or we would try to stop talking, it felt like the, the death of me. It felt like the end of the world. But then two weeks later, we would start talking again. And I, or we would talk, like have a conversation. And I realized like, okay, we can stop talking and it doesn't have to be forever. So I might as well just not feel like death each time. I don't know if I'm, if I'm articulating this correctly, but it did help me in my other breakups knowing like, just because you cut off communication to heal doesn't mean you're never going to have a conversation with them again. Like you can get a coffee with them years later and you're totally healed and you can, you know, if in a mature way, connect and re- remember your relationship fondly. And that's happened with my previous relationships is, and that, that mindset did really help my healing process. So I love that you said that. And I think to touch on it, cause I think you're bringing up a really good point with that feeling of like death with it. Yeah. It's it, it, that permanent feeling is so overwhelming to us because again, like I said earlier, unless you've totally lost touch with reality, there were good parts to the relationship. Um, you do have positive memories with this person. They were a part of your life during formative years. Like there's a lot to that. And the idea that they just have to suddenly like be gone out of your life is just a little too extreme for some people to get behind. Um, it can Mm -hmm. feel, and it can feel a lot of people in this early stage haven't totally committed to the concept of getting over their ex yet. And it just feels too permanent. It feels like they're officially saying goodbye that like, not only are they closing the door on the relationship, they're locking it. And that Mm -hmm. could be deterring. A lot of people would rather hang out in this limbo stage than fully commit to it. So if you know that, no, we can open the door back up later, like just let let the wound heal. Like you're not going to rub an open wound on your arm, like, ouch. But like once it's healed and closed up, like, sure, you can touch it. It won't mm-hmm. hurt. Yeah. And again, it goes back to that data. Like if you break up, there was a reason. So getting clear on what that, what was the reason for that in the first place? And if you're meant to be with this person, then you'll have that data when it comes. But if you don't have that data at this point in time, all you can do is work on your healing Absolutely. Something I like to remind people of also is that it's a healing is a win-win situation and people roll their eyes at me when I first say this to them, but choosing to move on and actually do the healing really truly is a win-win because one of two things is going to happen. You are going to 
learn about yourself. You're going to figure out, you know, what worked for you, what didn't work for you, what you're actually seeking in a relationship, what you actually need, what you bring to the table. And you're going to find someone who's actually a better fit for you because of that work. Or in some cases, fewer cases, but some cases, um, both you and your ex are going to have some time to, to heal, to learn, to grow, and you're going to come back together stronger than before. So really one of those two things is going to happen. And that's the most empowering thing to think about when you go through a breakup because this the process of healing will be the same either way. And it's there's too many people being stuck in that limbo because they do not want to let go. Absolutely. I love that you said that. Okay, the other question that popped in my head was, let's say you start working with someone and they have a lot of resentment for their ex and it's not amicable. Are there reframes that you encourage clients to have towards this the other person? Mm, eventually, yes. However, this is one of the times that, and this is one of the most controversial things I say, um, this is a time where I really encourage people to lean into the negativity. We, we're kind of living in a culture right now that's like positive vibes only, look for the silver lining, like all of that. Like use it, use the negative feelings towards them to remind yourself like, what about this person is not a fit for you? What about their behavior was not okay? What will you never tolerate again in a partner? Get really clear on that. Use the anger to help you separate from them emotionally. And then we can reframe it later once you really come to terms with the fact that, yes, this relationship needed to end. I don't love how it ended. I wish it hadn't been him cheating on me with my roommate. <laughs> but, um, but like, thank goodness. And I always think of Ariana Grande's song, Thank You, Next. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He says of, like, thank goodness the relationship ended before we, I don't know, moved in together or before we got engaged or before we got married or before we had kids. Like mm-hmm. that's the reframe that can come in later that the gratitude for what it saved you from. Mm-hmm. But at first you get to be negative. I'm cool with it. Um, now we don't want to hang out there forever because hanging out in negativity for too long turns to bitterness, mm-hmm. but at least up front, we can, we can use that. That's a great point because when you break up with someone it's, and it is amicable, it's hard because you want to still be friends with them. Like you don't, you, you still love them. You still love each other. You could have totally total respect for each other. You could wish that you hated them to make it easier. So I like the, the reframe of using the anger to your advantage to really get that space that you need. I've actually found that it, it's a little easier and faster for my clients who have some of that anger uh, as opposed yeah. to ones who don't. Um, like I'll say I, of my bad breakups, the first one I mentioned, the five-year one, like did not end well. There was a lot of anger, a lot of feelings of betrayal and resentment, but another breakup I had that I don't want to say was more difficult, but just a different flavor of difficult at a similar intensity was one where we just realized we didn't want the same things long-term and Mm -hmm. no one did anything wrong. No one fell out of love. Like there wasn't really anything to be angry about. And so the early phases of the healing process actually took me a little bit longer with that one. And I noticed that with my clients as well. Mm-hmm. Same, same with me. Yeah. <laughs> what are your feelings or your thoughts about people getting back with an ex? So never say never. However, in if I had to do the math of how many people I've either worked with professionally or just friends and family members that I've known 
um, I would say it works about like 5% of the time. Mm. It's not nothing, but it's not the norm. It is the exception to the rule. And the cases where I've seen it work are when people took enough time apart from each other to actually make changes, to actually heal, work on themselves, develop new skills, develop new self-awareness, and then come back together. I think getting back together within like a month, just a couple few months of the breakup almost never works because what's different? Mm -hmm. Now, occasionally there are times where the reason for the breakup was kind of a circumstantial thing or a timing thing and the circumstances change. Like, hey, I'm moving across the country to start med school and this isn't going to work long distance. Oh, hey, actually I got into med school in our city and that's a better program and I would choose that regardless. I'm not moving anymore. We can stay together. Okay. Something like that. Sure. Where there aren't fundamental issues in the relationship, but Mm -hmm. if there's a falling out of love, a lack of attraction, a betrayal, a difference in values, there needs to be enough time for actual change to have been made. Yeah. Getting clear on the intention of why you're getting back together, not just because you're in pain, which is so common. (laughs) Yes. Thank you for saying that. That really, that perfect. The intention. It. Like just because you don't want to be alone or you're used to it or it's familiar or you don't want to date anyone else because it seems too overwhelming, not mm-hmm. good reasons, but mm-hmm. coming back together because I actually love this person. I want a future with them. We share values and goals in common. Different. Yeah. And, and that both people are on the same page because one person, it could be, yeah, totally one-sided if, if you're not careful. So Okay, we've moved through the right, like ripping the bandaid off or healing the wound. And what can people do as they're starting to heal and they want to really do that deep inner work and make sure that they're actually preparing for the relationship that they do want? Yes. Oh, this is my favorite part of the work. This is where I really get to utilize my background as a clinical psychologist with all of the the psychological dynamics at play, because this is where it, it makes or breaks your whole future. And as social creatures, and a lot of whom, like we prioritize our, our relationships, our romantic relationships in particular, this is the foundation that the rest of your life is going to get built on. Like mm-hmm. I'm so passionate about this. Um, I just did a story yesterday. Like, it's not just the breakup. It's not just healing a broken heart, just getting over your ex. It's figuring out who you are and your relationship dynamics. So the work that people should and can do, um, is really examining, like what attracted you to your partner in the first place? Was it kind of that phase of life that I mentioned earlier? We were young, we were having fun. They were hot at the party or were we actually, Um, joining on shared values and a strong foundation? Um, What were the relationship models that were set for me in my early life? Um, And this is where, um, and I'm sure we'll talk about this later, but like red flags come into the picture because if you don't know your own dynamics and what was modeled for you, you don't know what red flags to look for because if it's something that's very familiar to you in your core dynamics from childhood, they're not gonna look like red flags. They're gonna look familiar. They're gonna look comfortable. So for example, like if you come from a family that was really harsh and critical of you, you're going to naturally subconsciously seek out a partner who's harsh and critical of you. And you're not going to see their criticism as like, well, red flag, you're being a little rough with me, buddy. 
you're going to see it as, ah, yes, this is what loving relationships feel like, because that's what you experienced your whole life. Mm -hmm. So getting really, really clear on those models that were set for you about what you were taught to believe about how relationships work, what they are supposed to look like, how they're supposed to feel. Um, And I'll give a little plug here. Like I was raised on the Disney princess era and definitely, and like rom-coms of the early 2000s and feeling like relationships should be work and there should be an element of being rescued in a relationship and, um, you know, giving up your dreams to make your relationship work. Like if that's what you were subconsciously taught your whole life, you're not going to seek out better for yourself. So a lot of these dynamics um, come into play. Things like attachment styles. I know that's really big right now in pop psychology as well. And I'm so glad it's getting more mainstream. But like understand how you bring yourself to a relationship. Understand how you interact with other attachment style types. There is a reason that anxiously attached people and avoidantly attached people end up in relationships with each other very frequently. And not that it can't work, but without the awareness of what each partner is bringing to the table and what their unique needs are, that can really blow up. Mm -hmm. So that kind of inner work um, is huge. I could could go on about this for like hours, so I'll leave it there. (laughs) Yeah, no, this is totally on brand with this podcast because it's like, what can people do to really build that relationship with themselves? And in my mind, when you do that, you, your whole life is aligned, like not you attract better relationships. You're like you're just happier and more aligned and, and joyful in your life. And isn't that kind of the point of life? Yes. So what I'm thinking like, okay, you, we met, we talked about if we, we're attracted to what is familiar, right? So if we start to do this work and make these changes, how do we change our attraction patterns? Like, you know, you know how people are like, are attracted to either the bad boy or they're attracted to the ups and downs of the relationship because it keeps them on their toes. Like, will they be, if they do this work, will they be attracted to healthier versions or will that seem, I don't know. I hear people say boring. I knew you were going to so, say yeah. <laughs> And maybe from personal experience too. <laughs> yeah. So um there, there are a couple things I want to say about this. One is that there is a concept in psychoanalysis called repetition compulsion. And it's what I see enacted in a lot of situations in the attraction realm. What it is basically is that unconsciously, we are attracted to repeating the same scenario over and over until we feel like we've mastered it. So this is why, and the classic example, kind of dramatic example, is if you were raised by an alcoholic father, you are, I don't know the statistic off the top of my head, but like many times more likely to find yourself in romantic relationships with alcoholics. And if we look at statistics, like that can't be by chance. If it was purely random, everyone would have the same number of relationships that were abusive, that were toxic, that were with alcoholics, that were with um, serial cheaters that were with, um, you know, Peter Pan type, you know, won't grow up type guys, like everyone would have, that would be evenly distributed. Everyone would have similar encounters with those people. But we know from experience that some people have that so much more than other people. Some people never have that. So what that means is that on an unconscious level, we're seeking out dynamics that are familiar to us so that we can master it. You know, this person, this time I'm going to win. I'm going to figure it out. 
I'm going to fix him. I'm going to succeed. I'm going to whatever. So to answer your question, yes, the attraction does change. When you become aware of these things, first of all, what you're looking for changes, but also like the energy and vibe you give off changes. Um, and I cannot wait for the world of like spirituality and energetics to somehow be linked with like psychology and like on a more scientific way because I don't know how to explain it but it is certain energy and vibes that you give off of what you're willing to tolerate what you're looking for what you're attracted to and yes sometimes it can feel boring because if you're used to drama and chaos all the time like okay what's an absence of drama and chaos like that can seem boring I encourage a reframe where instead of thinking of it as boring think of it as stable and see how that feels Um, but once you're aware of these dynamics of like wow like yeah, I, you know, my family, there was always someone who was really sick or in addiction or special needs or someone where I was always caretaking. And so, yeah, I'm always dating these guys who need fixing, who I see as projects. Like that's what I'm used to. Once you make, and this is like to quote Freud, like let's go back way to the basics. Once you make the unconscious conscious, you have control over it. You have power over it. So you can say, ah, like I'm noticing it. Ooh, this person, like, yeah, they're a project of a person. More power to them. I hope that they get the support and help that they need. It doesn't need to be me. That doesn't need to be my job this time. I can find someone who doesn't need that. And it can feel foreign and scary at first. And that's why I also teach a lot of communication skills to my clients on how to express what you're feeling and what you're needing from a partner and some of those assumptions that are being made and narratives that are being created as you do venture out into the dating world. Um, But it it is going to require communication sometimes when something feels foreign and new to you, even if it's the healthy kind of new. Yeah. So it's like identifying why you've attracted certain people, bringing that awareness, making it conscious, getting clear on what you need in a healthy relationship. Like what, how can someone know what, so say they've never experienced a healthy relationship. How can someone know? what that is and how can someone picture themselves like they may they may see other people have healthy relationships say they can identify that they have a hard time seeing themselves getting there how can how can they do that work that's a fantastic question so huge plug for therapy and coaching here Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, because sometimes it's just it's a little too hard to do on your own because you're not meant to do it on your own you're meant to be shown this throughout your life You're meant Mm -hmm. to be shown this by your caregivers, by your close family members, um, by the things that shape your concept of what a relationship is. So if you didn't get that in childhood and in young adulthood, there is no shame in in asking for help for it now. It was always meant to be a joint venture. So getting a provider, a coach, a therapist, someone who is trained in this and that you trust to do this work with is huge because how could you recognize this on your own, first of all? Um, Now, if that isn't accessible to you or you're not ready for that, um, there is so much literature out there, so many Instagram accounts that talk about healthy relationships. And the basic premises of a healthy relationship is that you feel like you can be yourself and ask for what you need without being punished, without being chastised, without being made fun of, and that you feel like you're getting from the relationship as much as you're giving. That's what it comes down to on a basic level. Now, much easier said than done course. Um, but there are a lot of places that you can, you can read or look into like, what should it look like? And then compare that to how you're feeling in relationships. And I will say that if you come from a background that had a little bit more trauma, a little more 
um, inconsistency, neglect, um, are just, you know, not the best examples set, even if it's not super dramatic, this is not the greatest. Um, that's where doing that inner work with, with a professional is so helpful because sometimes, um, and I, this is something else I could talk about for ages, so I won't get too far into it, but this is where self-sabotage can come in, in the dating sphere, um, where like, sometimes you actually have something that's healthy, but you're so used to it not being healthy that you're picking fights or you are making assumptions or you are letting whatever, you know, the anxiety, the avoidance, whatever inside of you kind of run the show and push something away that is healthy for you. So that's where it doesn't always depend on the other person. A lot of times it depends on the inner work we've done with ourselves to be able to, to recognize and hold what's healthy. Such a good point. Self, the sabotage aspect, which is a whole, yeah, we could probably do a whole episode. Okay. So once people start doing this work and then they're ready to start dating again, what are some practices that people can use to really navigate the dating world and stay, stick to their, all the work they've done? Yes. So I'm trying to figure out how to answer this without going down such a deep rabbit hole because there's so much (laughs) here. Um, I think the biggest, you know, if I had to just break it down into a couple of small chunks, one is just being really clear on what you actually want in a relationship. And this is where I say that you can really use your breakup as a blueprint for this, because once you've done the true analysis of the breakup and the relationship, you're realizing, oh, yeah, I never really got this out of it or I didn't like this part of it. So that helps you get clearer. Um, So being really clear on what you want and practicing communicating it. I, um, one of my favorite things to teach is um, interpersonal communication dynamics. And I oftentimes with my clients, they come in feeling very black and white about it, where either they're like not speaking up at all, or they're being really forceful. And it's like, well, I want to get married. So if you want to, don't want to get married, don't date me. Mm -hmm. There's so much gray area there and how to properly express your needs and what you're looking for in a way that's going to actually be received by the other person. Um, So it's like the one, two punch of being clear on what you're looking for, but also how to communicate it. Um, So the communication skills are really important. And that's one of my favorite things in my coaching, um, especially the Voxer coaching I do with the messaging app is when people send me screenshots of conversations with the people they're dating and I can actually see like what the back and forth is going on. And I'm like, okay, here's how we could say that differently. Or if they're like, Hey, I don't know how to reply to this. Like, all right, like let's workshop this because learning how to properly express yourself is the number one tool in the dating world. Um, Mm. and I, I'm a big believer that as adults, like we have to assume that people can only operate on the information that they're given. So going back to what I said, like no one's a good mind reader. So if you're not directly asking for what you need or making it clear where you stand on something, you can't expect the person that you're dating to know that or to respect that or to act on it down the rabbit hole I go, but it really comes down to a lot of communication skills. Yes. Okay. I have so many questions on that with communication. That was going to be my next question was if someone does want a partner, they've done the work, they've left or they're, they've, they've healed the, the relationship that, that did not work for them. They're ready for a partner. How can someone communicate that 
what, cause I, like you said, there is that gray area. You don't want to come off too strong. You, you don't want to rush that conversation. So what would be your advice on that? Yes. So I, I have a little bit of a controversial piece of advice here. Um, and this is just straight out of my own handbook that I used uh, when I was dating. Um, and I actually got this from an ex, um, on our first date. So I'm a big believer that you can be as blunt and direct as you want, it's, it's mostly tone that's the issue, honestly, rather than the actual words. Um, and what I would tell people when I was on first dates, because inevitably the question comes up, like, what are you looking for? Um, especially if it's an app, like connection. Um, a lot of times that conversation is being had. Like, and sometimes people aren't super truthful on their profile about what they're looking for. So you want to you wanna double check. And what I would tell people the last time I dated was, hey, like, you know, I'm, I think I'm ready to date for the last time. And I'm really interested in developing a, a forever relationship with someone. And like, obviously, there's no way for us to know today if that is the case for us. But if that's not something you're looking for, or not something on your radar, like, I'm probably not the person for you. Like mm-hmm. a really nice way of saying, like, don't waste my time. And what I like about wording it that way is the mistake a lot of people make is like, I'm looking to get married. So basically what the other person is hearing is, do you want to marry me right now? Based Mm -hmm. on this limited interaction that we've had and the limited data you have about me, would you propose to me? (laughs) That's too much. So like really emphasizing that like I'm on this path and I know it's a journey and, and we might, you know, get a little ways down the path and realize that we need to go our separate ways. But like, we at least need to be headed the same direction. Like if we're getting in the car together and I want to go to New York and you want to go to LA, like that's not going to work. But if like, yeah, I want to go, I think we're, we're both heading to the East coast. We can get in the car together. Yeah. Some kind of basic understanding of like, what are the general goals here? Yeah. You have great analogies. <laughs> These are all really sticking in my head. Um, I, I, I think it's so attractive, to, attractive too, when someone knows what they want and they know how to communicate it correctly and not in a way that's defensive. Like I, well, I want, I'm ready to have kids. So like, you're probably not, or I, I don't know. I'm just imagining a, a defensive attitude coming out, but it's like, you know, it, standing in your power and knowing you you're ready like you're ready and you're and that's okay and if they're not ready that's okay yeah that's very a very attractive quality and I think again like people can't read minds so you need to be clear about what you're looking for and mm-hmm. if you're upfront with someone about what what you're looking for and they already know right off the bat that that's not for them you've just saved yourself a bunch of time and heartache mm-hmm. I I work with a lot of people who are like yeah but what if that's not what they want won't I ruin my chances with this person and I'm like, yeah, and you should. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. It's a filter. Um, yeah. Sometimes people, and this is something I meant to say earlier, but, you know, especially with breakups, not only is it missing the person, but it's the hit to your ego and the rejection and the self-esteem stuff that comes up around breakups. And so there are a lot of people, if that's not fully healed within themselves, they're looking at dating as, you know, potential rejections rather than potential connections. And so the idea that if I go on a date and I'm honest with someone, I'm going to turn them off. That feels scary. That feels threatening. But mm. really all you're doing is, okay, on to the next. Like that would have been a waste of my time anyway. So it's not it's not a quantity game. It's a quality game. Yeah. How can we, how do you help your clients with that? Um, 
the rejection that comes up and helping them stay true to themselves and confident mm-hmm. and just let it kind of roll off the their backs. Yeah. I wish I had a quick answer to this. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's a whole uh, phase of what I work with clients on. And obviously people come in with varying degrees of self-esteem work that's necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it, it's definitely something that I have to address. Um, and I use all the psychological tools in my toolbox for it. Um, but just kind of understanding what happened to your identity here. What are the messages you're telling yourself? What's the narrative running through your head? You hear a lot of like, what's wrong with me? I'm not good enough. I'm not as pretty as she is. Um, like a lot of those negative self-talk. So really diving into like, what are these underlying messages that you are feeding yourself about yourself? And then how can we start to work on that with um, various coping techniques and exercises to strengthen that? It's a big part of the process before you're ready to date again. Because if you Mm -hmm. go back out into the dating world with your self-esteem still a mess, you are going to be looking for validation and comfort in all the wrong places. Yeah. It's really that the self-talk is huge huge. Is there something that um, you could recommend like that people could try this weekend, an yeah. exercise that's part of your toolkit? Yes. I, um, I I think that you, you will appreciate this. I know not everyone's super into this, but um, I'm very into the woo-woo and affirmations mm-hmm. are huge. Um, and for people who are a little skeptical about affirmations, if it feels a little bit too like woo woo and new agey for them, there is actual neuroscience to back this up. Um, so it's, it is scientific. It's not, it's not magic. Um, but really trying to rewire certain beliefs we have about ourselves, um, in the affirmative, I am worthy. I deserve love. I am enough. I am beautiful, uh, attractive. I, I attract people who are good for me. Like repeating those messages to yourself, whether you know sticking up all over the place or the background on your phone or you know through apps where you can actually record them in your own voice. Neuroscience really supports listening to recordings in your own voice, um, things like that to just start to gradually rewire that unconscious belief system because the unconscious belief system is the steering system. And if you're feeling like I, I suck, I'm ugly, I don't deserve someone to treat me well. Well, that bad boy that's eyeing you at the bar that you can just tell right away, like is not going to be good to you forever. It's just going to feel so nice that someone's giving you attention because you don't deserve much more than that, that you're going to go down that rabbit hole and waste the next three, four, six months of your life or more. And Mm -hmm. we want to avoid that. (laughs) Absolutely. Get ahead of it. (laughs) Fill your own cup and uh, affirmations. Absolutely. And I, I recently did the recording of my own voice, which mm. I think is a game changer where I've been doing my own like hot girl walks of, of doing the walks and listening to my affirmations. And then another one is mirror work, like looking at yourself in the mirror and saying your affirmations, which can be really hard and uncomfortable at first, but then, and noticing in your body, like how does your body feel when you say nice things to yourself? It's that's a big one. And yeah, of course, I love that anything backed by neuroscience is what I'm all about, too. Yeah. Okay. So as we're wrapping up, I have a couple fun questions that I like to ask. First one, what advice would you give your younger self in regards to love, dating, or relationships? Mm, I think 
a really big one is that it's more important how I feel internally and when I'm sitting by myself in my you know, room at night, how I feel about the relationship as opposed to what it looks like publicly. I think that a lot of people get caught up, um, like I mentioned earlier, with the optics of it. And I remember a point in my five-year relationship towards the end where clearly part of me knew that things were not good, even though I wasn't really willing to admit it, um, where I remember having the thought, at least it looks good on Instagram. And as Mm -hmm. soon as I had that thought, I wanted to vomit because I always think of myself as someone who values authenticity. And in that moment, I was so out of alignment with myself, but I realized that I was, I was operating that way for far too long. And if I had been in touch with that value and that understanding earlier, I think I could have saved myself a decent amount of time and heartbreak. Yes. Very similar to to my story as well. What is something on your bucket list that you want to do within the next year? Ah, I, I want to start my own podcast at some point. Yeah. Um, I think it's so cool. Um, and you get to talk to so many interesting people. So that is on my bucket list. Um, and yeah, just growing my, growing my impact and, and getting to help people with this, because like I said, I really just think it's the foundation of a lot of aspects of our lives, the ripple effects of having good, strong, healthy relationships with yourself and with others. Mm -hmm. Um, it's kind of the cornerstone of everything. We can trace almost everything back to that. And, um, that's why I really encourage people to invest, um, in themselves in this way, you know, not necessarily monetarily, if that's not, um, accessible to you right now, but at least time and effort, um, really invest in this because the ripple effects are huge. Absolutely. Invest, even just scheduling a date with yourself to check in with yourself. Like that's an investment. Absolutely. So where can listeners connect with you, follow you, find you? Yes. So I'm most active on Instagram and you can find me there um, by searching the breakup doc um, or my username is Dr. Andrea Liner. Um, You can reach me on my website, drandrealiner.com. And those are, those are the big ones right now. (laughs) Perfect. And I will link those in the show notes so that you can easily find her. So thank you so much for being here. I feel very lit up by our conversation and I'm just grateful for the work that you're doing and, and yeah, that you are doing so much good for the world and we're so like, our missions are so aligned. And so I'm, I feel very grateful to talk to you today. It's lovely connecting with you. Um, I'm grateful for you as well. We need people doing this work. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, thank you all for listening and let us know how you like the show. Leave a review if you feel so inclined and you can find Dr. Andrea in the show notes. I will link them there and yeah, have a great weekend and we'll talk next week. Bye.